much he believes that there's fish out there and how, how long he's willing to suffer. He may keep trying for a while, but at some point he's going to conclude one of two things. Either the fish is a lie or the boat is a lie. <laughs> Something's wrong in this process, right? Now, this is absurd. Nobody would actually do this. Um, but why do I give this illustration? When, when it comes to seeking God and it comes to prayer, we often have one of those same three problems. They're the three problems Jesus deals with all the time. When we talked about two of them last week, we don't understand the God who we're seeking, right? Like the guy who thinks fish live just inside the forest. He doesn't understand what he's after. And so Jesus spends a ton of time in so many of his parables and so many of his teachings trying again and again to reveal to us who God is, how amazing he is. We walked through this in Luke last week, how you can come to God with anything, how you can trust that he will answer, and how you can know that he's a good father who answers well, right? And if you don't understand these things, then when it comes to seeking God, you're in trouble, Another thing Jesus deals with again and again when it comes to his teachings on prayer and on seeking God is the fact that um, we don't get to manipulate this. And I talked about not having a technology of prayer, that you, you don't, that God isn't a vending machine, that there's not three right moves, and if you do those three right moves, you're going to get everything you want, like pray facing in this direction, in this pose with these words, and surely it will all be fine. It doesn't work that way. Um, and again, Jesus makes this very clear. And that's the person who doesn't understand how the boat works, right? We have been given in Jesus, in his sacrifice on the cross, the amazing gift of the freedom to come and speak with God and have a relationship with God. And it's that context that becomes the power in prayer, which is God. God is the power in prayer. We don't have to do the work. We don't have to manipulate God into being good or doing good or hearing well or answering. Um, and so we talked about, we focused in on those two problems and, and the good news that is behind them last week in Luke as we looked at the Lord's Prayer and the parable that Jesus tells right after it. But there's a third possible problem, and Jesus spends pretty much as much time talking about this as he does the other two, maybe not quite. And that's that, like, even if you knew the fish lived in the water and you knew how the boat worked, but you didn't untie it from the dock, you're going to have problems. <laughs> Um, there are things that hold us back. There are anchors and places of bondage in our life. And that's what we're going to focus in on today. Because this is also what Jesus talks about when he talks about prayer and seeking God. And almost all the time, those things are tied up with sin. They're tied up with the places in our life where we have done wrong to God and to others or been done wrong by others. Which means, really, they're tied up with forgiveness. Forgiveness becomes that key question of whether or not we've untied from the dock. Have we taken part in? Have we received and accepted the forgiveness that God offers? And have we passed it on to the other people in our life? Because if the answer to either of those questions is no, the boat's still tied to the dock, and you're not going to get very far. And when we look at Matthew, which is where we're going to be today, Matthew chapter 5, which is another, or sorry, chapter 6, which is another record of the Lord's Prayer, the same prayer that we looked at last week. In Luke, Jesus gives us his, this model prayer, and then he tells a story about how good God is and how much we can be free to seek Him. In Matthew, he gives us the example of the Lord's Prayer, but he goes somewhere else. He goes in a different direction. And in all likelihood, Jesus taught this prayer and teachings on prayer many, many more times than is recorded here and, and went different directions with it. And so we have these too. But it's no accident that here he heads into forgiveness. So let's read this passage. Um, and we're going to read it and immediately jump to a parable Jesus tells in Matthew 18. So we're reading two passages, and the reason is it fits really well. Last week we did Luke, you get the prayer, you get a parable. Today we can do Matthew, we can do the prayer, we can do a parable. He makes exactly the same point at the end of this parable as he does at the end of his prayer. Like it fits really well, even though Matthew has put it in another part of his gospel, and it's going to work really well for where we're going today. So that makes it hard, though, for you if you want to have this in front of you, because you got to have two places in front of you. We're going to be in Matthew chapter 6, verses 9 to 15, and we're going to be in Matthew 18, verses 21 to 35. But they will be on the screen, 
So if you're okay with that, that's the easy way to go. And let's stand together for the reading of the Word of God. And this is our tradition here to honor the Word of the Lord and to take part in what we're doing and to remember this is the best thing you're going to hear from me this morning. So Matthew 6, this then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us today our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from the evil one. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. Keep going to Matthew 18. Is that one up there? Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, and he could be asking this right after the teachings on the prayer, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? Jesus answered, I tell you, not seven times, but 77 times. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. As he began that settlement, a man who owed him 10,000 bags of gold was brought to him. Since he was not able to pay, the master ordered that he and his wife and his children and all that he had be sold to repay the debt. At this, the servant fell on his knees before him. Be patient with me, he begged. I will pay back everything. The servant's master took pity on him, canceled the debt, and let him go. But when that servant went out, he found one of his fellow servants who owed him 100 silver coins. He grabbed him and began to choke him. Pay back what you owe me, he demanded. His fellow servant fell to his knees and begged him, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refused. Instead, he went off and had the man thrown into prison until he could pay the debt. When the other servants saw what had happened, they were outraged and went and told their master everything that had happened. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. The word of the Lord. You may be seated. Strong words. Strong words and a harsh ending. We start off in the Lord's Prayer, and I didn't read this section before he gives the prayer, but he deals with the same kind of technology questions. Don't pray before people. If, you, if your goal is to make yourself look good, then that's your reward. You looked good, and your prayers aren't going to be answered. Don't think that you'll be heard because you pray lots right? It's not about how many words you can speak. God knows what you need before you tell him. So this is how you should pray. And he gives that example, our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name, right? And uh, I don't want to redo everything we did last week, but it's the kind of prayer that points us to our big picture needs of understanding who God is and living out his kingdom in the world, full of goodness and grace and justice and truth and light and all these good things. Um, and also points us to our daily, mundane, the things we need all the time, and gives us in that permission to come to God with anything, in any way, directing us to come to Him for the things we sometimes don't think about because they seem too big, too big picture, and also some the things that we sometimes don't bring to Him because we think they're too small for God to worry about, and neither of those things are true because you can come to Him with anything because He is a good, good Father. And then in conclusion, he says, so the prayer is finished, and one of the lines in the prayer is, forgive us our debts, as we also have forgiven our debtors. And then you go to verse 14, he says, for if you forgive men when they sin against you, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive men their sins, your Father will not forgive your sins. And then we jump to Matthew 18, and he tells this story, and I mean it, it really could fit right here. Like Jesus has just said, forgive them. And Peter could have responded by saying, how many times? Like, what are the limits on this, Jesus? And I, I get the impression, I don't know, I get the impression that Peter probably thought he was being very generous. Up to seven? Like, should I forgive someone up to seven times? That's a lot. 
waiting for the pat on the back, right? Like, oh, well done, Peter. <laughs> that's a stretch, but yes, that would be great. And instead, Jesus says something that's completely shocking, not seven times, but either 77 times or seven times 70. Um, the numbers are symbolic. It's a way of saying you don't stop. We want limits on these kinds of things, right? I do. Limits are comforting. Like, when, when can I be done forgiving? When can I say, I've forgiven you enough, no more? That's it. Be gone. <laughs> Instead of forgiveness, if you're getting me too close, you might get a, you know, a punch, right? Um, but Jesus doesn't give us that comfort. And before Peter can ask another question or object, Peter's probably sputtering like 70, 70 times, set. Uh, did I hear you right, Jesus? And he tells a story. And it's a pretty powerful story. And so I want to walk through the story and, um, and just lay out what Jesus is doing here. Because this story is a story of each of us. And that's one of the first things we have to recognize. It's a story about a man who stands between his king and his, his fellow servants. And he finds himself in debt to his king and indebted and I don't know what the right words are, like debtor and debty, like he probably owes other people money and other people owe him money. And, um, and this is life. All of us stand before Jesus, our king, owing him everything, literally everything. He's made us. He's made the whole world. We and everything in the world are his. Um, and we also live in community in which we hurt one another and we're hurt by one another. We take advantage of one another and are taken advantage of. We rely on one another and others rely on us. In good ways and bad ways, we live together and owe one another. And so Paul can say, for example, owe no outstanding debt except the debt to love one another, right? Because he recognizes where we live. So this is a story you have to put yourself into to really feel it. Um, but as you do that, it also you need to understand how uh, ridiculous these numbers are. So many of Jesus' parables really rest on the absurd. So we've got this guy, and he owes the king money. Now, I don't know if you caught this or not. He owes the king 10,000 bags of gold. Um, the actual word in Greek, we would normally translate it a talent. He owes 10,000 talents of gold. And as best we can tell, a, t a talent weighs about 33 kilograms. So if you do the math, he owes 330,000 kilograms of gold. Now, I looked it up for fun. <laughs> In today's Canadian dollars, that's $21 billion, approximately. The, the price of gold shifts a lot, right? One of the other ways you can measure this is in terms of daily, daily wages. Um, 10,000 talents is equivalent to 60 million days' wages. 231,000 years of income. If you do that and you take like the average daily income of a Canadian citizen, you end up with only $12 billion. <laughs> he owes an absurd amount of money and, and, and he can't pay it. Like, surprise. <laughs> Who could pay that kind of a debt? Like, and how do you even get into that kind of a debt? Like, what did he do? With this money, I just, it's so ridiculous. And then his response too, right? The guy's like, you have to pay me back what you owe. I can't. Okay, then I'm going to sell you your family and everything you own because, you know, at least I'll get back some of my debt. And he gets down on his knees. He says, give me time. I'll pay you back. Like, what's his plan? <laughs> like, what, what are you going to do? Like, how much time do you want? 231,000 years, give or take, because I got to live on something in the meantime. Um, so he begs for mercy, but, but he begs for time, and I really don't know what he's going to do with that time. And if this all wasn't absurd enough, we read the next line, which is almost unbelievable and incredibly good news, because the king looks upon his servant with mercy, and he doesn't just give him time. He cancels the entire debt. You don't owe me anything anymore. You're free. Like, it's incomprehensible. Try to imagine what that would feel like. like. He must have, that debt must have weighed on his shoulders, on his mind, on his heart. I can't imagine him sleeping 
If I couldn't sleep if I owed somebody 12 to $20 billion. Are you kidding? Um, and suddenly, and you, you're called into the king, right? And you know why the king is calling you. Like, I just wanted to have coffee. Oh, and by the way, about the money, right? You know what's coming up. You must have entered with such dread because you know you can't pay. You know what the king's is recourse is. You know what he could do, right? Like, he can have you tortured. He can have you imprisoned. He can have you sold into slavery. Like, you are his. You are fully at his mercy, whatever he wants to do. And I don't know what he thought was going to come out of that meeting, but I can guarantee you he wasn't expecting to be debt-free. He wasn't expecting to walk out with a new ledger that said zero at the bottom instead of big red $21 billion, 10,000 bags of gold. How would that feel? Like, how good would that feel? Is he dancing on his way out of the king's courtroom? Like... (laughs) Is he singing? Is he smiling? Is he shouting? Is he running home? You're right. He's not. He doesn't even get down the steps before he's choking someone. Right? He doesn't even get down the steps before... Thank you. Thank you for that answer. He doesn't even get down the steps before he sees someone who owes him money. And and it's not like he's nicely like... Hey, about the debt, it's like, pay up, right? Now, I want to pause here for a second and and step back to the moment of mercy because part of this parable, part of the good news here is that is the mercy available to every one of us in this room. If we will ask our king, he is gracious, quick to forgive, abundant in mercy, and he doesn't just give us more time, he erases our entire debt, forgives all of our sin, places us back into good standing, reconciled and able to have a relationship with him. That's our God. And in the middle of this story, you start to think about what kind of a king this is. Well, we don't know a lot. Like, nothing really is told to us, except he's fabulously wealthy. You can't forgive 10,000 bags of gold unless you have a lot more. (laughs) And he's incredibly merciful, um, like, we, we know these key things about him, and this is, this is God we're talking about. This is our king. That is incredibly good news, that the God of the universe holds out mercy available to all of us. And that same sense of freedom that you can imagine overtaking this man, that should have overtaken this man as his debt was erased, that should have led him singing and dancing and jumping and shouting and running out to tell the amazing good news to all of his family and friends about how good this king was and how free he was, that that's where we live too. (laughs) Yeah. The question, though, is do we really live there? Or are we more like this guy? He goes outside, and and we already painted this picture. I don't know where the joy went. I don't know where the freedom went. I don't know where where this experience hit him. Like, maybe he's just still caught in the old world of debt and repayment and judgment and punishment and torture. But he goes outside, and there's this guy who owes him 100 silver coins, 100 denarii, 100 days wages. It's roughly the equivalent of $20,000, which isn't nothing for most of us in this room. Someone owed us $20,000, we would be like, I kind of need the money. Um, But compared to the debt he was just forgiven, it's one one millionth part. It is nothing compared to where he's come from. And yet he looks at his fellow servant and he demands repayment. And what we know in that moment is that there's something deeply wrong with this man. We know also that there is something deeply wrong with this situation. And the rest of the servants, human like us, who have heard what happened in the courtroom and seen what happened on the steps, go to the king and they tell him. They're outraged. They're they're rightly, justifiably outraged. And so is the king. And we read the rest of the story Punishment is swift and harsh. And Jesus concludes by saying this, this, the whole story, 
is how my Father will treat you unless you forgive those who've sinned against you. In other words, the first half of that story, that's available. So is the second half. It's really, really harsh, but it's also really, really true. And we can easily imagine this in the wrong way. The truth is, we are called to live in response to God's mercy, to forgive as we've been forgiven, to give has been, as has been given to us. This has been the, the truth from the very beginning. You look, go back to the Old Testament, you read the laws, one of the first things you're always going to read is, I am the Lord your God who brought you up out of Egypt. And that comes before the commands. And then one of the last things you're going to read after lots of the commands, it'll say things like treat the stranger and the foreigner and the alien well because you, you were slaves and strangers and foreigners in Egypt, right? Like, I did this for you, so pass it on. That's your job. Pass on the good things of God. God affirms with the very blood of his son that he loves and forgives us, that he offers us mercy and grace. But mercy which is not passed on withers and dies. This is the shocking end to the story. And it's easy to feel like it's a little bit of a manipulation. Like, oh, here's the catch. Free grace of God, but only if. Um, or to imagine God is like, well, why are you making that the condition? It's because this is, it's not a condition in the sense of an arbitrarily applied, like, this is what God decided it would cost. It's a condition because this is reality. I want you to imagine for a minute if you didn't have the first half of the story. And the only part of the story that Jesus told is there's this guy, and one of his fellow servants owes him 100 silver coins, and they met on the steps, and he said, you have to pay me back. I really need the money. And the guy wouldn't, and so he has him thrown into prison. Now, most of us would think, okay, that was a little harsh. Oh. <laughs> I don't know what just happened. Um, most of us would think that's a little harsh, but, you know, given the systems of the day and how debt and repayment works and that you do get thrown into prison for owing a debt, given that this man hasn't met Jesus and doesn't know God, like, we get it. We get the demand to repay a debt. We wouldn't look at that person and think, there is something fundamentally wrong with you for wanting your money back, right? Like, we wouldn't. This is pretty normal. If you run a business and... You, you know, some other business takes up your services and they don't pay the bill, like, they should pay the bill. They owe you $20,000, you are expected to go pursue that money. That's a very normal thing to do. What makes the story, what makes you react to his lack of forgiveness is not the fact that he owes, is owed $20,000 and wants the money back. It's that he's owed $20,000, demands the money back after having just been forgiven so much more, right? It's the full picture that makes us all intuitively know immediately that this is not right and it's not okay. Because we know that that grace, that that reception of mercy, like something didn't click. Something's wrong in this guy's heart and soul and mind, like that, that he could literally walk out of that one experience and into the other and respond that way. That, that something's broken, right? We know this. And in that moment, what is a God of justice supposed to do? Like, he has to respond. He has to set wrong, right this wrong. Again, you go back to the Old Testament, and we're going to be looking at this come October. One of those key revelations of who God is in Exodus, that gets repeated again and again and again and again throughout the Old Testament. He says, I am slow to anger and abounding in mercy. And I'm not going to be able to quote it exactly yet, but I plan to be able to because it's such a cool verse. Slow to anger and abounding in mercy, um, you know, blessing the children of the faithful to the thousands generation, but by no means leaving the evildoer unpunished. Right? Like, it always has to be both. The incredible, rich grace and mercy of God down to the thousands generation, which is, like, think about your children and then a thousand generations further. Like, we don't even imagine that, but not leaving the wicked unpunished. And so this whole thing results in this call to receive the forgiveness of God 
and pass it on. And to recognize that those are two sides of the same coin, that you can't have one without the other, that, that you can't, that mercy is, it's all in or nothing, right? Either you're a person who's receiving mercy and living in that place, and therefore it flows out of you around you into the rest of your life, or you're not. It's not a tap you can turn on and off. It's a waterfall you stand under or you don't, right? That's what it is. So Jesus commands us to forgive. And I want to assume that we want to obey that. I hope that we do. And talk a little bit about that. Talk a little bit about forgiveness. Because we, I, tend to assume that forgiveness and mercy is something of a moral hardship. It's a tremendously difficult task. Uh, It's an exertion of self-control to grant pardon repeatedly to other people. Um, That's how it feels a lot of the times. Someone steps on your foot, and they add insult to injury by telling you to watch your step, and it's easier to step on their foot in return, or at least give them a few choice words, whether vocally or later to your friends at home, depending on maybe how much bigger than you they are. Um, It's hard to swallow when people do things like that to us. We respond in anger, we respond in hurt, and those things want us to act out some kind of retribution. We're going to get even. We're going to punish them. We're going to make this right by showing them how wrong they are, and they're going to feel it just like they made me feel it. Um, But when we look at it this way, it, it makes the whole thing kind of impossible. As soon as we make mercy and forgiveness a matter of self-control and of exertion of the will, um, then we, I don't know what's going on with the lights, but <laughs> then we, uh, then it's natural, like, it's like you're exercising a muscle, and eventually, you do that enough times, you exercise to failure. You reach your limit, and you're done. And you can't do it anymore. It's like, I'm done, I've, I've forgiven enough, I'm, I'm, I can't. You explode in anger or in hurt or whatever the case may be. But Jesus shifts the action of forgiveness with this parable and with these teachings in the Lord's Prayer. He's saying, remember and live in how much you've been forgiven and let that be what you respond to. See, it's always that question of what you're responding to. Are you responding to the thing right now that's hurting or making you angry? Or are you responding to the grace and presence and love and mercy of God? And you do have that choice. And so when when you experience that hurt and anger, and you will, we all do, most every day, do you stand in that and live out of that place? Or do you step back into the presence of God and live out of that place? That's something we can keep doing because of the abundance of the goodness and love and grace of God. And the glorious thing about that is that that makes every wrong you suffer an opportunity to refocus on the presence of God and live out His kingdom anew. It makes it an opportunity to say, ah, here I get to show this person what Jesus is like instead of responding out of my hurt and my anger. The truth is that the people we have not forgiven have great power over us because they're like the dock you're tied to. You can have the biggest motor in the world, fastest boat you want. If it's tied to the dock, it's not going anywhere. And if it tries hard enough, you're just going to hurt something, right? Like that's, that's just reality. The people that, that we have refused to forgive, it's us choosing to be in bondage in that place. And we experience that in ways such as bitterness and anger and despair and so on and so forth. Um, So to receive the forgiveness of God and to offer that forgiveness to others is to choose freedom, is to choose the ability to follow God wherever He leads, to let Him move you with His power and His grace and His love. As we say this, And I am going to call us into, I think it's really important to make a few key clarifications about what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't. Three, forgiveness is the letting go of our rights to get even, choosing not to punish or revenge, but it is not reconciliation. They're not the same thing. Forgiveness frees us to choose to love someone 
but it is not forgetting. Forgiveness and forgetting are not the same thing. And forgiveness allows us to begin to deal with the hurts that we have suffered and to let the healing light of God come into our lives and do His work. But forgiveness is not the same as the end of that hurt. When you say to someone, I forgive you, it's not equivalent to saying, and I'm okay. They're not the same. So let me walk through each of those in a little bit more detail. Forgiveness, in terms of the positive and primary thing you're doing, is you're saying, I'm not going to punish you for what you did wrong. I'm not going to try to get revenge. I'm not going to try to get even. I'm going to let go of those things and let go of, you know, you hurt me, but you don't have to pay back that debt. That's the release. That's why one of the key metaphors for forgiveness and in this parable is someone who owes someone else money. You let go of that debt. You cancel it out. You put zero in place of the 10,000 bags of gold or the 100 pieces of silver or whatever it is that was on the bottom of that ledger. Having forgiven that debt, having released them from what they owe, you are not in a position of having the relationship be restored. That's reconciliation, and that is a different thing than forgiveness. Forgiveness only requires one person. You can forgive someone without them being repentant. You can forgive someone without them being present. Now, it's a blessing to communicate to people that you've forgiven them, and you should do that when you have the opportunity, but it's not necessary. Reconciliation, on the other hand, is the process of rebuilding trust in order to restore a relationship, and it requires both parties to be fully involved and fully committed. It requires time and testing and learning and growing, and depending on how, what the relationship was before it was broken and how it was broken, that can be something that happens very, very quickly or something that takes years or something that's impossible. So these are different things. So that's the first distinction. Second distinction, freedom forgives us or frees us to choose to love someone. In other words, once you've released that debt, you can look on this person and choose to do what's good and what's best for them within the context of the relationship as it now stands. It is not the same as forgetting. It is often the case when somebody hurts you that you learn something new about them and about their character. And depending on what that is, you may need to respond to that with a change in your relationship. So you find out that someone likes to punch you in the face. <laughs> you may forgive them, but you also would be wise to stay at arm's length, <laughs> maybe a little further than arm's length, right? And. Um, like, this is an extreme example, and, you know, most people don't just, hey, I like to punch you in the face. But it helps us understand what we're saying, right? The relationship has been wounded, and until reconciliation has been affected, you have to love them within the context of the relationship as it now stands, right? And you can't just forget. Like, you, you, you can't decide to forget something, especially when it was something that hurt. Like, those are the things that stick with us the longest. So forgiving can't be the same as forgetting. You may, over time with a restored relationship, get to the point where that isn't something that you really remember. Like if they asked you, you might remember, but it's not something that you think about, it doesn't come up. You may get there, and that's awesome. But that's a process. That's something that takes time. Now, if you're married and you've forgiven someone for something, you don't get to throw it back. You don't get to say, I'm not going to forget that. I'm going to throw it back in your face every time we talk. Okay, that's not forgiveness, because now in a different way you're demanding that you get even and that you get to punish them for this by throwing them in, in their face all the time, right? So there's some nuances on this side about what we do with the fact that we remember instead of forgetting and how you walk out forgiveness day to day. And if you're with someone, if you're forgiving someone that you want to have and maintain a good relationship with, then you're going to have to move from forgiveness into reconciliation. And we're called to do that where we can. It's just important to understand that they're different. So that's the second one. Forgiveness is letting go of our rights to punish and get even, but it's not reconciliation. Forgiveness frees us to love somebody, but it's not the same as forgetting. Thirdly, forgiveness opens the way for us to begin to deal with our hurts and to allow the healing light of God into our lives. The bitterness, the anger, the unforgiveness we hold on to, I've, I heard a, Rob Reimer talked about this at a conference, the act like a shield, and we're holding it up because we don't want to get hurt again. 
But we're actually still, we're also preventing the light of God from coming in with that same shield. And so you forgive and you put down your shield and the process of healing can now begin. But it, that too is a process, right? I hope you're catching the trend here. There's a moment, forgiveness is a choice and it accomplishes some key things and it is something really important, but it's not all of these processes. So you say to somebody, I forgive you, you can still be hurting. That doesn't invalidate your forgiveness. That doesn't mean that you lied. Um, it is a commitment, though, to choose to continue forgiving as the hurt tempts you to do something else. Because hurt and anger, as I said earlier, what they want from you, what they push you towards, is getting even. And, and we, we believe a lie very often that if I could get even, I would feel better. And what I want is for this hurting to stop and how I'm going to accomplish that is by making them hurt as much as they've hurt me. It doesn't work. That's not healing. There might be a, a brief sense of satisfaction, but the wounds that you've suffered, they won't go away just because you've wounded somebody else. And the physical world makes that very clear. Someone punches you, you get a black eye and you're bruised. If you go punch them, your eye doesn't get better. Can you imagine? That would be really weird. <laughs> I can think of some grotesque examples, but I won't share them. <laughs> it doesn't work that way relationally and spiritually either, right? Um, so instead, you choose forgiveness, and when that hurt keeps coming up, you remind yourself you've chosen forgiveness, and you step into the light of God and let Him work the healing instead of giving into the temptation to say, you know what, I tried to forgive you, but I'm still hurting, and I want to get even, right? And that it, there is that temptation, and there is that ongoing, and sometimes... If we don't understand this, um, one of two things happens. One, we feel bad, like, I, I thought I forgave that person. Why am I still hurting? Something's wrong with me. I must not have really forgiven them. No, no, this is normal, and you need to process the hurt and work through the healing. One of the other things that can happen is that the other person throws that in your face. If you really forgave me, why are you still upset? Well, because they haven't worked through it all yet, because anger doesn't disappear with the choice. Because emotions, you can't just turn them off and on like a switch. Like, I love you, click. I guess I don't. Like, one of those two statements is a lie. But anger and negative emotions work the same way. They take time. So as we encourage one another to obey Jesus' command to forgive, I just think these three distinctions are really important. They're very common to misunderstand what forgiveness is and what forgiveness isn't, right? Again, we're getting to the point where I just say, let's forgive the people we need to forgive. But before I can say that, I want to make sure that we're clear about what it is that we're talking about. Um, the last thing to say about this is that in all of this, we will need God's help. Making the choice the first time is really hard. Dealing with the hurt and the anger and all the other things again and again and again over time as they come back up again, that's hard too. We need the presence of the Spirit of God growing His fruit in us. We need to be reminded again and again of the 10,000 bags of gold that we've already been forgiven by our King. We need to come and live in that place of grace. And through that repetition, we grow and we learn and we're able to live more and more fully into grace and into forgiveness and into mercy and, God willing, into reconciliation which can come from those things, can, does not always, but can. So you got to cover this over in prayer. you got to cover it over in community, right? Because we are the ones who are most able to remind each other of like, hey, I know it hurts, but we're, we're going to choose to forgive, right? Um, you got to cover it over with the presence of God. We can walk in forgiveness, receiving it from others, from God, and passing it on to others if we're willing to pursue him in this, if we're willing to receive that from him and rest in his strength and walk in that way. And so I want to talk about this. I want to urge us to this together, and I need to talk about it in two different ways. Firstly, on the personal level. Personally, I would like each of us to spend some time today thinking about and praying about who we need to forgive. Now, I don't know who that is for you. You might already know. You might already have that person. You know exactly the people in your life that you are mad at. Um, you may not. 
it may be a case where you're thinking right now, I don't know if there is anyone. And that would be awesome if you're living in enough grace and forgiveness that there isn't. But give God, and you may be. I'm not going to put that, like, none of us are perfect, but you might keep short accounts. You might be really good at that, and praise the Lord. But what I would ask you to do if you're the kind of, if you're in the place of I'm not sure, is pray to God and give him some time to reveal to you. Just say, Lord, is there anyone that I'm, I'm holding a grudge against, and I'm just not thinking about it right now, but I need to forgive them. Um, God works really powerful in response, powerfully in response to that kind of prayer, and I've experienced that, where I've been at a, you know, at a conference or in a training thing with other pastors, and the leader asks us to pray that prayer, and I'll be thinking, like, I don't think there's anybody, but I'll pray and ask God. You know what happens, right? <laughs> there's usually somebody. It's like, oh, yeah, I, I haven't forgiven them. Um, and if you're going to pray that prayer, be ready to begin responding in obedience. Get help if you need help, right? If you're like, I don't know if I can. I know I should, but I don't know if I can. We're here for you. That's okay to be in that place. In the same way that, you know, the Father can say to Jesus, I believe, help my unbelief. You can say to God, I want to forgive, but I've got this clenched up in such a tight fist that I don't even know how to release it. Um, and he'll meet you there, and so will we. So I want us to do this personally, but there is another dimension that I need to speak about to this morning, and that is on a corporate level. Um, and this is weird and difficult, and I'm going to do my best. It's one thing to talk about forgiveness on an interpersonal level between you and I, between the two people sitting next to each other. Um, it's hard, but it's usually pretty clear. It's fairly straightforward to imagine and to explain. How do you talk about forgiveness at the level of churches, at the level of a body of believers together? Some of you already know where this is headed. Some of you don't. That's okay. Um, we need to. And so... I'm going to try. <laughs> Two and a half years ago, Timbers let go or asked to resign or fired the lead pastor. Even the language around that event was part of contention and anger. And what followed was a church split. Um, the senior pastor who had been let go um, and quite a few people from Timbers left and started a new church. It's called Genesis. They still meet and worship together here in Prince George. For many people here at that time, for all of the people here at that time, I think, this was a deeply hurtful event. It was a very difficult season in the life of our church, in the life of our individual lives as believers. I wasn't here for this, obviously. I've been here for just under a year. Um, it's quite understandable that this was hurtful and difficult. None of what happened was easy. No board of elders wants to make the decisions that our board had to make, and no church wants to face the situations that our church had to face. So I want to be very careful in how I say what follows, and I want you to please hear me clearly. We Timbers and our leadership, I don't believe, can claim to have handled the situation perfectly. But I do, from what I've heard and from what I know, believe that the leadership of Timbers did an excellent job and did their best to work alongside of our district, to follow due biblical process, to act within their authority and within appropriate channels, to try to do what was best for Timbers. Um, certainly, there will have been things that were not, you know, mistakes and sin and all of these other kinds of things. In the midst of that, one of the unfortunate and painful realities is that there are quite a few things that the leadership of Timbers has not been able to and still cannot speak about publicly. And this is a matter of obedience to Canadian law. Canadian employment and information laws do not allow employers to speak about letting an employee go. You just can't make that information public. It's not okay. And that's left a lot of holes. There are people in this room who were here two and a half years ago who still don't really know what happened. You know what was shared publicly. Um, and so, for example, you know that there was some conflict and that there was a conflict resolution consultant brought in and that the result of that process, along with the district being brought in, was that this senior pastor was let go. Um, but all the details behind all of that are not things we can talk about. And those holes, they're hard. They create space for doubt and questioning and hurt. 
it was also the right thing for our leadership to do. They have to obey the laws of our country. Um, we don't have a choice. Another painful reality in this situation was that in response, that lead pastor and some of this congregation left to form another church. And this, I can say, was wrong. Now again, I want to be very clear here. People respond to difficult situations like that in a variety of ways. And it is quite normal for people to leave a church when major staffing decisions like that are made. Quite normal and quite understandable. Um, Lots of what went on and lots of the individual responses were just people processing hurt in a variety of healthy and unhealthy ways. Were sins committed in that time? As far as I know from the stories I've told, yes. There were threats of violence and displays of anger, and those kinds of things are not okay ever, let alone in a sanctuary on Sunday morning during a church service. Um, but, but how do you sort all of this out, right? How do you sort out the difference between the response of an individual who doesn't know what's going on, who's hurt, and chooses to follow someone they trust to another church, and the responses of people who've stayed, and the responses of leadership on both sides? Like, it's really difficult. And I'm not, in what I'm saying this morning, trying to short-circuit or cut off any of that individual processing. Okay, so that still needs to be a real thing. And for many in this room, it has been. And, and well done and good for you if you've been walking in that already. But I can say this is wrong because we as pastors in the CMA, and I speak as one, agree to a call of excellence and a code of ethics. We sign regularly a document that specifies what we will and will not do, both while we are in a ministry and when we leave it. And one of the things we covenant not to do is to take people from a ministry we're leaving into another one, whether it's existing or we started already. And from that specific perspective, I can label the action of the lead pastor leaving and forming another church wrong. Now, why am I saying this as clearly as I, can, as I want to? Because what I want to say is they are forgiven. And this, too, is something that I'm speaking from a corporate level. Okay, so this is not me trying to rush or short-circuit any of the individual processing that has gone on or still needs to go on in this room. And this is where, you know, we've, I've, we, do, we have been doing what we think is best. And um, from the very beginning, Timbers, I think this is important to note, and the Timbers Board of Elders has not acted in any way contrary to forgiveness. We've not sought to punish or get revenge. From what I can tell, the leadership of Timbers has gone to great lengths to make sure that in every way we can be, we've acted above reproach and with grace and generosity to the point of suffering ourselves. And yet acting in this way is not the same as making a specific and explicit decision to forgive. And so we've been talking about this as a board of elders over the past several board meetings, praying into this together and working through some of our own individual processing to where we could come to the point where we could say as a leadership team, we need to make a decision as a church and we need to communicate this decision to our church that we want to release that. We want to let go and forgive that debt and that wrong. We want that to be a reality within this community, and we also want it to be a reality in the spiritual realm. We've been motivated both by Jesus' commands, but also by a desire to pursue the things of God and a recognition that we don't want anything to hold us back. It's quite clear in the prayer Jesus teaches and in the story he tells that to live in unforgiveness is to live in bondage. It is to shut ourselves off from the mercy and grace of God and to, not, to deny ourselves the fullness of Jesus' grace and mercy upon the cross. And we won't do this to ourselves. So I've already invited each of you to spend some time praying and asking God to reveal people that you may need to forgive. I may have just brought up wounds and hurts that fit into that category. And some of that may be directed towards the leadership of Timbers where you feel hurt, you're here still, but there's stuff that you've never got out and you've never talked about and you've never been able um, to, to say or to share or to vent or whatever it is. And so I know what I'm asking this morning is difficult because partly I'm asking you to join us as a leadership team in forgiving Genesis and the people, the leaders specifically, who did those things two and a half years ago. But even if you're not in that place, asking you to forgive the people in your life who've hurt you is hard enough. 
And so with both of these things in mind, our elders board will be up front with some of their spouses, available to talk and pray with anybody who needs it, either one. So if you're here and you're struggling with forgiveness and you need that support, you just come right up and get it. If some of what I've talked about around the history of our church is bringing things up and you want to talk to an elder about that or myself, I'll be up here as well. Please come and take advantage of that. Come and talk to us. Come and pray with us. Come and share in the freedom of forgiveness in not just receiving it from God, but passing it on to others. And I will say too, if you're here this morning and you've never received mercy and grace from God, and you're dragging around 10,000 bags of debt, we'll pray with you for that too. So let's pray now together. And as I'm doing that, if the elders could please come forward. Lord Jesus, I thank you for your mercy and grace. I thank you for the cross. I thank you that you are the kind of king who hears our cries for mercy and responds with abundant, far beyond expectation, grace and goodness. Lord, you don't just give us more time. You, you erase the ledger. I pray for each of us here this morning that you would lead us in walking in and living in and appreciating and knowing that grace. That you would remind us each day of how amazing you have been with us and that you would strengthen us each day to live that out towards those around us. And Lord God, now as we come to you seeking to obey, I pray for each of us here that you would lead us in those next steps of living in mercy and grace. I pray the same over our church, that we too, as a corporate being, as a body of Christ, as a community, would live out your forgiveness and grace always. We pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.